0: Speak truth to my
1: Welcome to the Mission
0: Cleveland Weekly Podcast Encouragement and Hope in a Despairing World. Please stand for the reading of the Gospel. Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke. Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And There he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are with me always, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. Please be seated.
1: Well, it is good to be back in worship together again with everyone, and let me say a prayer here and we'll do some reflection. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you our Lord, our God, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. So if you're visiting with us or if you've been here for a while, you know that um, we're in the season of Lent, and today happens to be day 26 of Lent. And I wonder how you're doing on your 26th day of Lent. For me, I think the, the 26th day, somewhere around there, we're kind of like slightly over halfway through Lent, and if you're like me, you probably have dropped a few of those great practices you thought you were going to do back on Ash Wednesday. You know, you agreed to do some of these things, maybe pick up some things or, or, or stop doing certain things. And now we're halfway through and we look back and say, oh, what happened to those good plans I had? And I don't mean to, to amp up any shame or or say, well, God's really disappointed in you for that. I don't think that God is. But I think if there was something 26 days ago that you said, hey, that would be good for me to try for a season, and for whatever reason kind of slipped out of your rhythm, you know, maybe returning back to some of those things would be helpful. And so tonight I want to use Psalm 34 as a window into the experience of returning back to God when things get weird, when we lose our way. How do we return back to the Lord? Now, we didn't read this in our reading tonight when, when Grace read Psalm 34. We didn't read the subscript. But here's what the subscript says. "A Psalm of David, when he feigned madness before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. Now, just a a, a word on a, a subscript, like it's not sacred scripture, but it does, I think, oftentimes give us a window into how we might understand the psalm. So in this psalm, psalm of David, we learn that David wrote this psalm when he feigned madness before Abimelech so that the king drove David out, and David went away. It's a reference, we think, to 1 Samuel 21, so let me read that passage tonight, just briefly, portion of that passage. We read, David was very much afraid of King Achish of Gath, so he changed his behavior before them. He pretended to be mad, when in their presence, he scratched marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look, you see the man is mad. Why then have you brought him to me? Do I lack madmen? Do I lack madmen that you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? and Achish sends him away, sends David away. Now, there's no mention of, of Abimelech in that First Samuel passage, and one way we might think about that is the word Abimelech was actually a Philistine name, but it also was a word that meant, your father is king. And so, historically, scholars have linked these to Psalm 34 and 1 Samuel 21. We've linked those together and drawn understanding from what's actually going on here in Psalm 34. So in the story, David, we understand, is trying to escape King Achish. And David faked a psychological break. He faked that he was going mad, going crazy. And the king lets him go. And when David gets away, when he flees from Achish, he goes away and he writes this psalm, this poem. He says, I will always give thanks unto the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Here's a David who has recently found himself delivered from trouble and the way that he escaped I don't know how he felt about that honestly I wonder how David felt about that but it's almost like we kind of get two pictures of David there for a second on the one hand he's kind of like taking whatever he can to get out of trouble he just kind of surmises a plan that gets him out of trouble And then the the poem that he writes, I will give thanks to the Lord at all times. It almost seems like we're getting to David's in a way. Who knows how David felt after that experience? But maybe we can relate in some way. Maybe we felt squeezed in some way. And we do the only thing we know how to do. We do whatever solution that comes up to our minds. We find a way. We find a way to flee. But you know, I think when we read Psalm 34, when we interact with this psalm, we need to identify that even with David's very strange escape plan, even though it seemed to be David's solution alone, he gets out of that situation And he thanks the Lord. He returns to the Lord. Here's a real question I think Psalm 34 puts in front of us. How do we bless the Lord at all times? How do we cultivate a life that's Eucharistic, a life that's full of thanksgiving, How do we do that at all times? Before I try to answer that question, I want to just say I think there are two, at least two ways that we can get off course. The first one is just our prodigal selves. We get in our own way. The things that we can enact on our own. Maybe David's going through that. I don't know. Certainly the prodigal son is here. We can make problems for ourselves. We think we know what we need, and so we go out into the world and we pursue it, and we pursue it diligently, and we pursue it with all of our resources, and we realize one day that we are resourceless, and the only thing that we have is the slop of the world. And the prodigal comes to his senses and says, I've got to go back to my father I've got to return to my father. And I just imagine him rehearsing that story. Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I just imagine him kind of rehearsing that all the way back to his father. And when he finally sees his father, when his father finally sees him, he says it, but it's almost like he doesn't even really get it out. It's, it's like I'm just imagining it's just so muffled because the Father's already embraced him, and he's just trying to say this thing that he's rehearsed, and the Father just says, I love you so much. I don't even care. I'm just so glad that you're here. What an image of how God sees us when we actually return to him. We enact our own problems sometimes, but also we live in a very broken world. Sometimes problems happen to us. Sometimes the things of our life can take us off course, take us off the pathway. I asked my, my oldest daughter, Kenna, who will be 17 in a couple of months, if I could share a story about her life. But we believe that before she was even born, she had a stroke. And so throughout her entire life, for 17 years of living, she's had therapy after therapy, challenge after challenge. I remember in fifth grade, when she graduated fifth grade, the teacher gave her award for like the strongest person award because they saw how hard she works. And just recently, Kenna's been having seizures, and, and I just want to be really honest, like we cannot get these seizures under control. Like she's felt so many meds at this point. Now we're talking surgery. And Julie, my wife, said to me a couple of weeks ago, like, why is it that some people seem to have such challenges in life? Why is it that some people just are are riddled with problem after problem after problem. Why is that? I mean, I'm sure we've asked that question before. It's a real question. It's a very raw question. And there's not really an answer for it, is there? But I think as we had some conversation about that, what we realized that If we live in that question for a long time, what happens is it just creates a lot of noise in our life. It's not a bad question, but we can stay there too long. And what we need more than anything else is the silence of hope. I want to describe that. I mean, you don't know how things will turn out. You don't know how to pray. You don't know how to encourage. You don't know what to say. You're just kind of standing there in the midst of silence and God calls you to hope even then, to be thankful even in those experiences. Silent hope. Harry Miller was an Ohio State linebacker. I think he was a linebacker. He was a football player for Ohio State until recently he retired from his career. Harry started to experience some symptoms of depression and even began to feel some suicidal ideations and he took that courageous step and said, I've got to stop playing football and I've got to take care of me. I've got to take care of my emotional health. And so he gave up football altogether. And. When he was being interviewed recently, the gentleman interviewing Harry said, when you were on the brink, how did you make it? What did you do? When you were about to give up, how did you make it? Here's what Harry said. He said, I don't have a lot to say from my experience, but I will say this. Pretend to believe in something until you don't have to pretend anymore. But sometimes you just have to like keep moving in and pretending it's going to be better. And, and eventually you don't have to pretend anymore because you actually find a new way into that life. That even something like depression can't last forever in our lives. And I do want to say that if anyone here is experiencing the, the low mood of depression, or you've had suicidal thoughts, if that's something you're experiencing now or in the past, I just want you to know, like, it is not something to do alone. Please reach out. Break the silence. Share that with someone. Come and speak to a pastor or a friend. Silent hope is not something that you do alone. And I can guarantee you there are people in this room that have felt what you're feeling right now. You do not have to do that alone. David, the psalmist, describes, I think, Silent silent Hope with these words. Taste and see how good the Lord is. There's a moment, maybe it's a long moment, maybe it's an entire season of our lives where we commit ourselves to experiencing God without really understanding God. Anslem is known for coining the phrase, faith-seeking understanding. And some of us might actually draw back from that comment that we have to pretend until we don't have to pretend anymore. That might not fit well with us theologically in some way, but could we wait in silence until our hope becomes more full? Could we taste and experience the goodness of God while we also wait to understand God even more, while our seeing God continues to grow and become more clear? David puts a picture in front of us in this psalm. It's a psalm of thanksgiving. And he says with absolute certainty that God is responsive. He says he's our deliverer, that God sees us, that he hears us, that he fights for us. He fights against evil for us. He preserves the life of the saints that he keeps us. He keeps us physically even. Not one bone will be broken, the Psalm says. And as saints, as followers of Jesus in this world, I wonder if we don't just spend more time in the wilderness than anywhere else. It just seems like it sometimes, doesn't it? Just here I am again. Walk in this wilderness journey. The church gives us Lent and Advent to recognize how to live out those seasons of our life. Verse 19 of Psalm 34, great are the troubles of the righteous. Doesn't that strike you? I really wish it didn't say that. (laughs) Great are the troubles of the righteous. And if there's a spiritual discipline that we can maybe draw from here, I just wanna encourage us to the spiritual discipline of silence. Silence. In his book, The Power of Silence, Robert Cardinal Sarah writes, there is one great question. How can we really be in the image of God? Answer? We must enter silence. He says silence isn't just being quiet. Maybe silence is is actually finding a way to, when we don't even know how this thing pans out in the end, how the problems of our life become resolved, maybe silence is actually tasting and seeing that the Lord is still good in the midst of our pain. Returning, letting God open that thing up in us again. We read the Lord is near to those who are brokenhearted and will save those who are crushed in spirit. The word crushed there could, could mean like Contrition, like we think about, like our sin gets crushed, like the mortar pestle, that imagery. But here the word crushed means despondent. That kind of that, that place that we can go, an attitude or an emotion of distress. What does it mean to be crushed in spirit? Spirit, that thing, that that part of us that that is open to God. That is responsive to God as he responds to us. But if we're crushed in spirit, what does that even mean? We can't even know how to respond to God in the midst of our pain sometimes. And the psalmist says, God saves you even there in that place. He comes to you even in that place. Paul writes, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. Lent teaches us that we share in the suffering of Christ. And if we don't cultivate inner silence, I think we run the risk of just making a lot of noise. But the hope of silence is that we can cultivate this interior life to bless the Lord at all times. A Eucharistic life. And maybe, maybe that is for you. I don't know how that looks for you. What practices may come up as you listen to the Lord in silence? Maybe that is actually sitting down and and writing a poem like David did after you go through a trial or even when you're in the midst of a trial or a point of suffering. Maybe it's just getting together with some friends and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, whatever that might be. I think for some of us, it may be what Brother Lawrence said, just practicing the presence He says, I make it, this is Brother Lawrence, I make it my business to rest in Christ's holy presence which I keep myself in by a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God. Again, I don't know what that looks like for us to practice the presence of Christ. Maybe it's just developing a prayer that you just keep in your back pocket that says, Lord, I am here Lord, I know that you are here and that you are loving me. Whatever experiences I have right now, I know that whatever I experience, you are loving me, Lord. Waiting in silence with that wonderful truth that we can't escape the reality of God's love. And that is I think David's reality, too, and why he can write that praise of the Lord will always be in my mouth. I will just exude it when I speak because I get that God is always, always, always with me. May we learn that rhythm this Lent and beyond Mission Cleveland. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm.
0: Speak truth to my heart. Thanks for listening. Join us at the Mission Cleveland next week.